Man, this has been said a million times, but I like it because it's true. This is a warm-up for eternity. Man, worship in heaven is going to just be unbelievable. Whew, man. Isn't that so cool that uh, Jesus gave John, his best friend, who wrote the Gospel of John, a, a glimpse of heaven. He actually saw it. So you can read it in the book, see where you're headed. <laughs> That's pretty darn cool. Talk about it. We're taking a family vacation in the summer. Talk about a family vacation. Let's go to heaven. How about that? It's going to be, yeah. It's going to be eternal vacation. I'm looking forward to it. It's free, too. Oh, man. Uh, we've got a number of visitors here today. Welcome to the Gathering Place Church. I'd love to have lunch with you this afternoon. So if you haven't, I've made plans after church. Come on and uh, eat and um, learn about us. Love to have you be part of this uh, fellowship. And uh, there's something else I was going to say, and I forget what it was. Oh, yeah. There's a guest card in your bulletin. So uh, if you're here today, there's a, a little guest card. I think it's yellow. And uh, you fill it out, drop it off in the back there, and got a little gift for you, and, and I have a record of your visit. So, All right. Well, I thank God the Word of God is not controversial in heaven. The Bible says that your Word is settled forever in heaven. It's in the earth where the battleground is. And I just want to say that I believe every, every last word of this book right here, it is the Word of God. And so, And we all have different thoughts and philosophies and beliefs going on in our head right now and in our hearts and this is like ajax on greece it just kind of like cleanses it all and it's like a chiropractic adjustment i went to the chiropractor this week and i thought i was good until i laid on that thing and then she went and i went oh just literally just shout it out like that and she said yeah your hips are a little out of joint sometimes our theology is a little out of joint our belief system about god is a little out of joint the word of god is like a little chiropractic adjustment so we're going to have one of those this morning all right and if you need to shout out loud, if it, like you get hurt, like instead of an amen, it's an oh me, you can say oh, like that in the middle of the service. It'll be just fine. Come on, let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the um, absolute, unadulterated, perfect word of God that you have given to us in this beautiful book that men and women gave their lives for us to have in our laps today. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. You are the teacher. And we welcome you into this house this morning. Bust through our paradigms and help us know God the way he is, not the way we want him to be. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. So today, okay, look, we're in the book of Acts. So if you want to catch up just this afternoon, sit down for a couple hours. Uh, the Warriors are going to destroy uh, whoever they're playing anyway. So if you're into basketball, it takes a couple hours. Read the book of Acts. It's an amazing book, and you'll be right in line. And uh, we're going to go into Acts chapter 10 today. Acts chapter 10 is the pivotal point of the book of Acts. It is so powerful that Luke, the physician who wrote the book, he traveled with Paul all through uh, his missionary journeys, and he chronicled everything. And he's a physician, so he's very meticulous. This book, Acts chapter 10, is the longest narrative in the entire book of Acts. And in fact, he reiterates it three times. First in Acts chapter 10, which we're going to read is the actual account. Then Acts chapter 11 is when his peers, his buddies, say, what the heck were you doing? And so then he had to reiterate the entire account to them to persuade them. Then Acts chapter 15, they have a big controversy over it, and it divides the church for decades to come over this one issue. 
So I timed how long it takes to read Acts chapter 10. It's only five minutes. So that's what we're going to do. Amen? So, Rob, you're going to follow me. For those of you who are real Christians, you brought your Bible, so you can open those. The rest of you can look up there and be just as much of a Christian as those who have the physical book in their lap. Just relax. Don't get offended because then you won't learn anything today. Acts chapter 10. Here we go. It's in the New Testament, right? Okay. Acts chapter 10. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all of his household and who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision, an open-eyed vision, an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said, your prayers and your alms have come up for memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa, uh, and sit and sent, I'm sorry. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon as Tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and devout soldiers from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. <laughs> it's just it's amazing. And he saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound to the four corners descending to him and down to the earth. In it, there were all kinds of four-footed animals on the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him and said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again a second time and said, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. That's the big word of the day right there. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven because we're a little slow. Verse 17. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what the vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius, uh, who made inquiry from Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, there's all sorts of divine activity going on here, isn't there? This is all the angelic visitations, open-eyed visions, trances, the Spirit of God speaking. Well, Peter thought about it. The Spirit said, and behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing. Everybody say, doubting nothing. Woo! That's a big word right there. We'll get to it in a few minutes. For I have sent him. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nations of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now, Cornelius was waiting for them, and he had called together his relatives and close friends. I'm trying not to preach is what I'm the reason I keep hesitating, because there's just just paradigm destroying religious busting 
content here. So let me just ah, keep reading and not preach yet. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, my concert is tonight. You can do that later. No. Stand up. I myself am also a man. Wouldn't that be refreshing to hear from people these days? As he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is. For Seriously? <laughs> See, now that you're not in leadership anymore, I can rebuke you in front of the whole con because you're just a banana in the bunch now. Wow. It is falling apart, Gary. <laughs> then he said to him, you know how unlawful it is to have your phones on during church. For a Jewish man to keep company or to go with one of another nation. But God has shown me. Everybody say, God has shown me. Oh, that's how our paradigms get busted up. When God has shown us. That I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent for me? So, so Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. He said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send there to Joppa. Call Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent you immediately, and you've done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive, yeah, I guess so, that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he's Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good. Everybody say doing good. That's what we're to be doing. Healing all. Everybody say healing all. Who oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things which he both did in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, who they killed and hung on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before God, even to those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to judge the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets witnessed that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. That's an exciting church meeting right there. I think, you know, that's when God says, enough, you've said enough. They believe, shut up, bam, it just does it. Oh, I'd love to have church meetings like that, like every time we come together. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles, these dogs also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. 
Three things I want to pull out of this text. Number one, the gospel is for everybody. And everybody needs the gospel. Isn't it amazing that because of our human condition, God, I mean, God comes in human form, stands right in front of Peter and says, right before Jesus, this is the resurrected Christ. So that's a pretty intense moment in uh, Peter's life. The resurrected Christ, God in the flesh, standing in front of Peter, saying to him, go into all the world and proclaim the good news to everybody. I'm going to go with you. Bye. And he goes to heaven. It's not till Acts chapter 10. This is like eight years later that Peter is shocked that the good news is for the non-Jewish people. I mean, we are so bound in our own belief systems and cultures and paradigms and prejudices. We don't even realize it. Don't think you're not because you are and so am I. I mean, we can understand why Peter, you know, came to this place. Because for, for 70 years, the Jews were taken captive by the Babylonians. And they were polluted. The Jews were polluted with Babylonian culture. Not that we have been. They have been polluted by Babylonian culture, their music, their literature, their food, their paganism and false gods that they worshipped. So they literally became, that's how you destroy a culture. That's actually when, when kings will take over a, a culture, they, um, first they, they, uh, intermarry so that the children are not purebred anymore in that culture. And then they mix all their cultural, um, elements, their, their music and their, 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 uh, art and their food and their daily practices. And they literally destroy the culture. So when Israel came back to Jerusalem in 6 BC, they felt it was their duty to make sure that their culture and their religion stayed pure. So they carried the torch of the Torah. And they made sure that everybody's keeping the law, you're keeping the Sabbath, your children are circumcised. I mean, they are just adamant about the purity of their religion, and they should have been. And Samaria, which was right next door, of course, they thought they were just just the, the scum of the earth. It was because they had mixed Judaism with all sorts of pagan religions, and so they were a polluted religion. That's why a Jew, when you, I mean, it's much easier if you've been to the Middle East, when you've been to, to Israel, it's much easier to get from point A to point B if you just go right through Samaria. But they would literally take a day's journey around Samaria because they didn't want the soles of their feet to, to, to feel the, the dust of the Samarian dirt. Which is why when Jesus was here, 
He said to his disciples, I must go through Samaria. And he went right into Samaria and went to the famous John chapter 4 chapter where he's talking to the woman at the well and the whole Samarian town gets saved and just busting up his disciples' paradigms. Even after that encounter and then Peter was there, he still doesn't think the good news is for non-Jews. It's just amazing. My son and I were watching, or maybe my daughter and I uh, this week, we were watching the movie A Time to Kill. John Grisham, have you ever seen that movie, A Time to Kill? Incredible movie. And so the KKK is out there, right? You have the black folk over here, and you got the white folk over here. And it is a war, right? And the people inside are, you know, in in the courtroom, and whether it's going to be a guilty verdict or an innocent verdict. And the KKK is out there, and they got their sign. Their sign says, God is white. And they actually believe it. Listen, I was in Africa. And I went into this person's home. They actually had a portrait of the Last Supper on the wall. And everybody was black. I was in Vietnam. True story. I went into another person's home. They had a picture of the Last Supper. Everybody was Asian. And have you noticed that whenever there's a new Jesus film, Jesus is white with a British accent. (laughs) And you have to ask who the producer was. Who's probably white, maybe with a British accent. You see, God is not becoming like us. We are becoming like him. And he's trying to break down our prejudices and our walls and our paradigms so we can see one another the way he does. We're all sinners. He's not. And he is trying to clean us up and fix us up and make us one. Look what. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord does not delay as though he were unable to act and is, now, and is not slow about his promise. The promise he's talking about here is his second coming. When he comes back to the earth and everybody who has made him Lord gets to go to heaven and the rest don't. That's the gospel. It's not my message. It's his message and I'm the donkey. I'm just talking about his message. As some count slowness. But it is extraordinarily patient toward you, not wanting for how many? Any to perish, but for what? All to come to repentance. Here's the truth. I must accept who God accepts. If Jesus loves him, I love him. Maybe you don't think the gospel is for you. It absolutely is. Yes, it is. Absolutely. I thank God the gospel was for me. And I thank God that somebody harassed me and irritated me and kept inviting me to church until I came. Thank God for that guy. Can't wait to see him in heaven and say, thank you. Thank you. Ah, He just wouldn't stop. I didn't want to go to work. He kept inviting me to church. It's irritating me. I had no idea God planned on me being a pastor. You just don't know. I mean, if I was him, I would have thought that guy's going to hell. Might as well not waste your time on him. But he did. He, he, he invested his time and, and not let me go. So in Judaism, there's the strictest Jews that will not have any contact with Gentiles, non-Jews. Then there are those who will do business with Gentiles, 
but you're unclean after you do, and you, and, and you, you, uh, you're ceremonial, ceremonially unclean, and you have to bathe, and you have to wash your clothes, and all that kind of stuff if you touch a non-Jew. Peter, but what you would never do is eat with them, because when you eat with someone, especially from the Middle East, you, that means you are their friend. I remember we had Afghani neighbors in East County, and I came home, and I said to my wife, our Afghani neighbors have invited us over for lunch. And she said, oh, great. So we're walking over there, and I said, by the way, plan on staying all afternoon. She said, what are you talking about? I said, watch. Oh, my gosh. They treated us like we were royalty for like four hours. And, I mean, we're at the table, and they have this big pile of rice with chicken stuffed in it, right? And, I mean, when you, like, are full and you're done... They see your plate empty. Oh, and they get the chicken and the rice and they shove more in your plate. And it's coming out your nose and out your ears and out your eyes. You're like, and you don't want to be rude. So you know what she did? When they turned and looked the other way, she took hers and shoved it on my plate. You remember that? Then they went to, then I thought we were done. It's like, oh God, we got to get out of here. You know, they were cutting covenant with us. We are friends. But then they sat us on the couch and turned on like a four-hour wedding ceremony and fed us dessert. I mean, ha. Oh. But it was love. It was friendship. But you don't, Jews do not go into a pagan's house. And you certainly don't eat their food because it was probably offered to idols. And Peter did both. Now this, this was a cataclysmic event. For the church. What happens if these pagans enter our religion? They're going to bring their customs, their culture, their food. They are going to pollute the church. Because we're all so holy. It divided the church for decades. For the Jews, the, tr- the, the, the trick is not bringing the law into the, the gospel of grace. Where you've got you to uh, make sure you're keeping the Sabbath. You've got to make sure your children are circumcised. You've got to make sure you're eating kosher food. You've know, you got to make sure all these things, right? And so that's what they wanted to do with these Gentiles. You know, aren't you glad at our membership class today we're not going to circumcise you? So, good news. I told you the gospel's good news. It's good news. But we, we make all sorts of rules and regulations that just God doesn't put on us. Like the Jews, God gave them ten commandments. They extrapolated them out to over 600. God makes it simple. We just keep complicating it. But for the Gentiles, it's not polluting the faith. It gets complicated. I mean, what do you do? This is real stuff. Like you go over to Africa and some guy gives his life to the Lord and he has five wives. What do you do with that? I mean, the the cultures are just different cultures. And we just have to be careful to make sure that we are giving the gospel and nothing but the gospel without all of our stuff on it. Boy, I remember when I when I I serve a number of churches down in, um, in Mexico, I remember when I first went, the Lord said to me, 
this organization has a religious spirit. I'm going to use you to drive it out. I was like, oh, thank you very much. It was, it was, it's remarkable. Got some amazing stories about that whole 15 year journey about how that happened. But just when I first came to the organization, all the ladies were wearing the doilies on their head. All the girls had on long skirts down to here, right? And any girls that had jeans on, there was this guy, this pastor, actually walking around to the youth meetings. He was writing down the names of the teenagers who were wearing pants. That's what he was spending his time doing. The rest of us are worshiping God, but he's recording who's wearing jeans. And he thought he was doing it in the name of God. He got the devil cast out of him. I'll tell you, he's got a, yeah, I had enough of that. After a few times, I thought, oh, this guy's got to go. He's either going to get the devil cast out of him or he's going to go. Because that's just, seriously. But that's what we do with the freedom in Christ that has been given to us is we Mess it up. But look what Paul writes. He says, there is no, this is Galatians 3.28. There, let's all say this and read this out loud. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave or free, nor is there male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. The gospel breaks down all divisions. Forgiveness through Jesus Christ makes us all one. Everybody is equal at the foot of the cross. We're all sinners. It's kind of like a scale. You know, you step on the scale. The scale doesn't ask you if you're white or black, if you have a degree or not, how much money you make. The scale is just an equalizer, right? doesn't care about your pedigree. It just tells the truth. When you come to Jesus Christ, the truth is you're a sinner. And you are not going to spend eternity with God in heaven because your sins have not been forgiven. But when you come to Christ, he cleanses you of all your sins, freely breathes his spirit into your soul, and you are born again, and you become a son or a daughter of God forever. So who are we to judge? Anybody. Can I hear an amen? amen. All right. Number two. So one, the gospel is for everybody. Number two, the gospel is personal. Isn't it amazing, this story? I mean, Cornelius is just like you and me. Just He's praying. He's doing his thing. He's with his family. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up and calls him by his name. I remember Mark telling a story about he was doing a conference and he's teaching people how to hear the voice of God. And he tells people in the room, okay, I want you to break up, go to somebody you've never met before, stand in front of them for one minute and just see what God says to you about that person. So you can see you actually can hear, oh my gosh, it's adorable. Oh, seriously? I can't preach with that right in front of me. Oh my God. Can you lift Show the, show the church. Look how precious. Oh, my. How beautiful. <laughs> how old? Huh? Oh, he likes, do, he likes doing the Simba thing, so that was perfect for Dad. How old? Two and a half months. Wow, how precious. Where was I? 
Yeah. So these two strangers stand in front of each other and they each only get one word for each other. Their first names. And you think, well, what's the big deal about that? They didn't introduce themselves. I mean, this is just real. You say, what's the big deal about that? That's not very profound. Oh, it's the most profound thing you will ever experience on this planet is that God knows you personally. I remember my mom, you may have heard this story. If not, it's just incredible. My mom, our family just was shattered. We were raised Catholic and we were an intact family and part of the Catholic Church. My dad was a leader in the Catholic Church. They were part of the Curcio movement. I went through CCD and had my hands hit with a ruler by nuns and everything. I went to all guy Catholic high school. I mean, we were like in it and up in it, right? And then, then my mom and dad got divorced and it all kind of blew apart. And so my mom kind of got disillusioned. My dad became an atheist. And my mom had this thought in her head that she never uttered out of her mouth to anybody because she was kind of ashamed of saying this. That she believed that God cast the universes into existence, but she did not believe that he was a personal God. How could he be? How could he, be, how could he even notice one individual on the planet when he is God? She's sitting at a restaurant bar waiting for her table, talking to a gentleman next to her. And another gentleman walks up to her, taps her on the shoulder and says, I have a message to you, for you from God. She's like, and he said, God says he is a personal God and he loves you very much. And she said, what did you say? He said, God is a personal God and he loves you very much. Well, she turned to see what this guy's thinking, because he's probably thinking, I'm getting out of here, right? She turns to to see, looked at him, and then she looks back, and he's gone. God knew Cornelius' name. He knew where Peter was. He knew whose house Peter was staying in. He also knew about Cornelius' offerings and his prayers. How many of you ever prayed and you think, this is doing no good? Just raise your hand. Be honest. Come on. Come, come. All right, listen. Lying is one of the Ten Commandments that you cannot do. Thou shalt not lie. Especially in church. You can lie out there, but not in here. How many of you have ever prayed and thought, my prayers aren't even hitting the ceiling? I mean, seriously, prayer? Right, okay. We've all felt that way. Cornelius may have been feeling that way. An angel shows up and says, Cornelius, every one of your prayers have been recorded by God. And I'm telling you, it's not just Cornelius' prayers. And offerings. It's not interesting. His offerings were recorded too. Now, that's either good or bad news for you. <laughs> Do you know the, the word offering? Look at this. The word sacrifice, not offering, but it's the same thing. Sacrifice literally means drawing near. In Hebrew terminology, sacrifice isn't, this is what we usually think it is. It's not giving something up. It's giving something over. Look at this. You got that up there? It's not giving something up. It's giving something over. It's making something. Is that phrase in the PowerPoint? It's making something that is calm and holy. So when you give your time. Your time's common. You give it to the Lord and say, like serving the poor or coming to church or counseling a friend. You just made your time holy. It was common. Now it's holy. 
Uh, you're given of your money because their, theirs was animals. That was their sacrifices, their grain. For us, money, your money's common. As soon as you put it into the offering basket, it becomes holy. Why? You're drawing near to God with it because it has given it over and it transcends the common and the natural and the earth. And now it goes into heaven. That's why God would tell the priest, come to the house, boil some of the flesh of some of the animals, and then you guys eat some. And then it says the smoke goes up and God loved, loved the, uh, the, the smell of the, the, the burnt flesh. You're like, what is that? That's weird. Remember how I told you about the Afghanis that invited us over for lunch? It was about friendship. That's what it's all about. In fact, it's called a fellowship offering in the Old Testament. When we come to someone's house, like God's house, and we eat together, and then we burn some of it so some of it can go up to God, we are having relationship. We're drawing near to God in God's house. How cool is that? It's about friendship. God sees that Cornelius wants to be God's friend. And God says, oh, he needs the gospel. And that's why the gospel is personal, but it's not private. And this takes us to our last point. We're going to close with this. The gospel is personal, but it's not private. Why? Because number three, the gospel must be proclaimed. It also must be believed and received. Isn't this interesting? Cornelius had to hear the gospel. God had heard his prayers, seen his sacrifices, and still knew he's still unsaved. This obliterates salvation by good works. How often I talk to people, you may be here today, and I say, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? I asked my neighbor this just recently, and you know that can either be good or bad for your relationship with your neighbors. But I care about his destiny. I said, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven, hell or heaven? He said, heaven. I said, why? He said, because I've been a good person. Well, here's a good person. Fears God with all his household. Prays continually. Gives money to the poor. That's a pretty high standard. And yet, he was not saved. Because good works, being a good person, doesn't save anybody. Because we've all sinned and fall short of God's holy standard. That's why the gospel is for everybody. That's why it's called good news. You're going to hell. But I got good news for you. So just wait for a second. Jesus already paid the price for you. And if you would just ask him into your heart and give your life over to him, he won't ask you any questions. You'll be completely forgiven because the price has been paid. And you can have a free relationship with God Almighty and go to heaven forever. Does that sound like good news to you? But you gotta, you gotta believe it and receive it. And listen to this. Not only does everybody need to hear the good news, the gospel, and you have a circle of influence. You have what's called an oikos. You have friends that none of us will ever know, but you know them. What are you doing? Are you proclaiming? Are you sharing with them? Is, is there, are you hiding your light? Are you hoarding your salvation? As one of our church members once said, Chris Papala, don't hoard your salvation because you don't want to interrupt your relationships. You don't want to be known as a freak? Well, and the way you do it could make you a freak. And I'm not suggesting that you be obnoxious. But are you proclaiming the gospel to those who you're in contact with or not? Because they need it. Everyone needs the gospel. And everybody matters to God. White, yellow, black, green, rich, poor, old, young. Every person matters to God. And they they have to. 
to hear the good news to be able to be saved. And guess what? And this account proves it. Angels don't get to proclaim the gospel. Isn't this amazing? The angel knows the message of the gospel. And he's in front of an unsaved person named Cornelius, who's a good person and yet a sinner. The angel knows his name. He's in his house. He knows he needs to be saved. Why doesn't he just tell him the message of the gospel? Because God has not given angels the assignment to share the good news, but human beings. The angel has to tell him to go ask for another human being to come down here to tell you a message I'm not allowed to tell you. And what if Peter said, uh, this is going to be very disruptive to my profile. I may lose a few friends over this. And I might eat polluted food. No, Lord, unclean food has never entered these lips. And God said, I don't care. The man's soul is more important than what you put in your pie hole, Peter. Talk about a paradigm crash. Thank God Peter obeyed and Cornelius got saved. And all of us Gentiles are here because of that account right there. This account right here. And it wasn't just a Gentile, it was a Roman soldier. Romans were the occupiers. This was the enemy and the largest minority class in Caesarea were the Jews. The largest class were the Romans, the Gentiles. And they were constantly clashing with one another. And this occupying force, the Romans, are controlling the Jewish culture. And Peter goes into a Roman soldier's Gentile dog's house and he eats their food and tells them about Jesus. And I'm so offended that the Holy Spirit baptized all of them and filled them with the Holy Spirit. And they even got to speak in tongues. And they were like, oh, even the Gentiles have received the Holy Spirit like us. rut Romans 10 says this, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Romans 10 says this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Acts says this, salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must, must, must be saved. This also refutes, uh, limit, this, this refutes uh, universalism. Some are teaching that Everybody's saved because of what Jesus did on the cross, period. The end. This refutes that right out. Clearly, you have to hear the gospel. 
You have to believe it, and you have to receive it for yourself. I was in India, and I'm going to close with a couple things here. I was in India, and uh, I was preaching to this group of about 40 people. How much time do I have, Mark? Tell me. Okay. As okay, I'm going to talk really fast. And so I was in India, and there was a group. Of, no, I was in India. There's a group of people, about 40 people, and I'm sharing the gospel. And this one teenage girl kept walking in and out of the house during the whole thing. Afterwards. Um, some got saved, some didn't, and they moved on. It was lunchtime. You know, we have a backpack. You're out in these villages, and then you have to eat somewhere. So they invited us into their house. So I, I'm sitting in the living room with the mom and with the teenager, with my interpreter and myself. And we're sitting in this little living room, this little house in India, and we're eating. And then the teenager says, I have a question. I had a dream. The dream was that a white man came and told us everything that you just said. Because I asked her, why are you walking in? Why were you walking in and out the whole time? Because I could tell she was kind of nervous. And then she told me this. And she says, would that be my God or your God that gave me that dream? I said, that would be my God. And led her to the Lord right there and then. Now, that is one story of a cabillion stories just like that one. And so it really takes the anxiety out of sharing your faith. Because the reality is God orchestrates, we just participate. I like what theologian Paul Kroll says. Listen to this. God is the chief actor in all Lucane accounts of conversion. Even the smallest details are attributed to the working of God. Conversion is not the result of skillful leadership by the community or even the persuasive preaching or biblical interpretation. In many accounts, such as those of Philip's work with the Ethiopian, the mysterious hand of God directs everything. In other stories, such as the story of Peter and Cornelius, the church must be dragged, kicking and screaming into the movements of God. Manipulation, strategic planning, calculating efforts by the community aimed at church growth are utterly absent. Even our much-beloved modern notions of free will and personal choice and decision appear to play little role in conversion and acts. Conversion is a surprising, unexpected act of divine grace. God is, I'm going to bring this down to application point for us. God is the master puzzle maker. Look at this whole thing that God orchestrated. I mean, he's giving Peter, he's giving Cornelius a piece of the puzzle. He gave Peter a piece of the puzzle. And while Peter has this, he's in a trance and he has this vision, he's like, what does this mean? Opens the door, three Gentiles, ta-da! It's like, oh, oh! Isn't that how God has worked in your life? As he gives you a little bit of it and you're not quite sure. And then the puzzle pieces come together and you're like, oh, you're so God. Well, God has given you three pieces to this puzzle called reaching the world, every person with the good news of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you these three pieces. This is the three pieces for you in your puzzle. Number one is to pray for your friends and your family members. And I mean this. Don't let this be like, oh, yeah. Okay, look, without prayer, it's not going to happen. Trying to share the good news with somebody who's not ready is like trying to mold Hard clay. 
You've got to pray. And as you pray, God is setting up conditions in their life through your prayers. He's molding and shaping their hearts, getting them and making them ready so that when you do share, they actually hear it. I got story after story about this, and I don't have time to say it, tell you today. Just know that, look, your circle of influence, you need to be praying for those people in the gym, the people at school, the people that you work next to. They need more prayer than you do, right? Pray for them. Pray, pray, pray for God to soften their hearts. Then, let's see what your second puzzle is. You need to share with them what Jesus has done in your life. You say, oh, I'm not a preacher. I'm not, I'm not, I haven't gone to seminary. Stop. Stop that. Jesus was smarter than to only to set it up so that the professional preachers and theologians are the only ones that can get people saved. That's just foolishness. You get saved today, you can lead somebody to Jesus tomorrow. No, you can do it today. All you have to do is tell them what happened to you. And say, I believe Jesus died for my sins and he rose from the dead and he's coming back for me again. That was the gospel message right there. That was it. Anybody can say what I just said. Jesus died for my sins, rose from the dead and coming back to get us one day. That's the gospel. And what he's done in me is I was lonely. Now I'm not. I was depressed. Now I'm not. I was lost. Now I'm saved. Whatever your testimony is, that's, your, that's it. And the last is invite him to church to hear the good news. That's the easiest part of all. Just invite them to come along. Say, hey, I'm going to church on Sunday. You want me to swim by and pick you up? The Bible says God wants us to go into the highways and the byways and can compel people so that his house will be full. Because God wants his house to be a party house. He wants people packing into the houses of God, celebrating him, hearing the good news of forgiveness through his son. So he can have as many kids with him in heaven as possible. So that's Acts chapter 10. So if you just close your eyes just for a moment here. Maybe you're here today and you were that person that thought that you were going to get to heaven because you've been a good person. But today you've heard the gospel that we're all sinners. You're a sinner. And the Bible says the penalty for your sins is eternal separation from God. There's, there's no way that you'll ever make it. But God loves you so doggone much that he came to the earth, paid the price for your sins. But you've got a part to play. You've got a puzzle piece. You've got to actively say to Jesus, I am accepting you for the payment for my sins. And I'm asking you, for eternal forgiveness for my sins. What you did on the cross was for me, and I am receiving it, and I'm confessing you as Lord. If you will do that, the moment you do that, the moment you do that, I'm telling you because it happened to me, your sins are going to be completely forgiven, and you're going to, start, you're going to experience the peace of Jesus. Like right now, you'll experience the peace of Jesus. If that's you, and you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, and you need the forgiveness of your sins, and you're ready to make him your Lord and Savior. Will you raise your hand right where you are? I'm going to just pray for you right, right where you're at. I'm not going to call you down front or do anything like that. I'm just going to, I just want to know by raising your hand saying, I want to ask Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins today so I can be right with God and know his peace. Is that you? Okay, I see your hand. Anybody else, just raise your hand up high enough so I can see it. I see your hand right back here, young lady. That's awesome. Anybody else, just raise your hand and say, 
this message is for me. God's been drawing your heart. I see your hand in the, in the jacket right there. Praise God. Anybody else? This message is for me. You're not good enough to get to heaven, and you're not bad enough to be kept out of heaven. The blood of Jesus is a great equalizer. Anybody else want to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior today? Just raise your hand. Okay, let's all pray this prayer out loud, and then I'm going to pray something with uh, those who have already given their life to Christ here today. Just pray this prayer out loud. Say, Dear Jesus, I need my sins forgiven, and I want to know that I'm right with God. And your sacrifice on the cross was the only way that I can have my sins forgiven. So I receive you now, Jesus, as my Savior and my Lord. Now I'll say, thank you, Jesus, that my sins are forgiven. And I am yours from this day forward. And everybody said, amen. amen. Can we celebrate those that gave their life to Jesus today? Woo! Yes. Okay, now, for those of you who have already given your life to Christ, and for those that just gave your life to Jesus, on the visitor card, please write down, gave my life to Christ today. There will be a place there I think you can check. Please hand that in before you leave or bring it up and give it to me. Tell the person you came with that you gave your life to Christ because you need somebody to walk with you. We also uh, have a new beginner's booklet here that if the person that you came with raise their hand. Come get one of these booklets because it gives you your next steps. It's a little take-home thing that you can do. Okay, listen. If you've already given your life to Christ, you have an assignment from God and that is your circle of influence. It's really the most exhilarating thing you'll ever embark on is telling your story to your friends, to your family, to your work associates. When the time's right, Don't just go barging in. But say to God, I am willing to share the good news with my friends and family. I'm asking you to give me opportunity. If you'll do that, I promise you, Jesus will love it. He'll partner with you. And quickly, probably today or this week, he's going to set up a scenario. All you got to do is tell him what Jesus has done in your life. And you watch how some of them just break and you'll pray with them they'll give their life to Jesus and you won't even believe it that's how the world's going to get saved is through God's people so I'm done God bless you may the peace of God be upon you as you leave this place today be the salt and the light of the world